Psalm 116, right about the middle of your Bibles, Psalm 116. We find the psalmist here, and this is not indicated to be a psalm of David, most of them are, we'll just call it the psalmist. It's part of a festival, and at this festival for Israel, opportunities have been given to bring thank offerings and in a public setting, express words of praise for answered prayer, especially deliverance from some great personal crisis. The psalmist is reflecting on that. I'd like to begin reading with verse 1 and reading through verse 14. This is the word of God. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclines his ear to me, Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of shale laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. A writer named Robert Heilbroner, don't know much about him, but he wrote a, wrote a book called The Great Ascent. In that book, he sets forth an exercise in imagination. And I'd like you to use your imagination for a few moments as he guides us through these thoughts. Change a typical American family into an equally typical family anywhere in the undeveloped world. To start with, strip the American home of practically all its furnishings. Everything goes. Beds, chairs, tables, television sets, lamps. We will leave the family with a few old blankets, a kitchen table, a wooden chair. Along with bureaus, of course, go the clothes. Oh, each member of the family may keep his wardrobe, his oldest suit or dress, a shirt or a blouse. We'll permit a pair of shoes to the head of the family, none for the wife or the children. We move into the kitchen. The appliances have already been taken out, so we turn to the cupboards and larder. The box of matches may stay, a small bag of flour, some sugar, and salt. A few moldy potatoes already in the garbage can can be hastily rescued, for they will provide much of tonight's meal. 
We will leave a handful of onions and a dish of dried beans. All the rest we will take away, the meat, the fresh vegetables, the canned goods, the crackers, the candy. Next, the house must go as the family moves into the tool shed. The newspapers, magazines, and books all go. Hospitals and doctors go. Transportation goes except for an old bicycle. Money goes. Well, a cash of $5 is left. And the family's annual income is reduced to $300 or less. And so we bring our typical American family down to the very bottom of the human scale where over a billion people are living. You think of things like that and use our imagination, we realize how indeed blessed we are to live in the United States of America and all that we enjoy. Many years ago, President Calvin Coolidge said, we have been a most favored people. We ought to be a most grateful people. We have been a most blessed people. We ought to be a most thankful people. And so this Thursday is a national holiday called Thanksgiving. And at that time, many people will sit down and express their thanks. Thank you, Mom, for fixing our meal. Well, thank you, children, for being so supportive of me. We thank our neighbors for being good neighbors. We thank our our boss at work for giving us a job. So many people, as they sit around the table, what are you thankful for? They'll express these kinds of things. And those are good. But is there another way to thank God? How should we do it? Well, we can go to church. That certainly is appropriate. A thank offering. Oh, what could be better than that? We could help others who are less fortunate. But is there a better way? Undoubtedly, all of you here understand the need to express gratitude to God himself. We close each worship service how? Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And probably all of you would acknowledge that in one way or another. So what's the best way to thank him? We know we should thank him. And when we think, compared to what I just read for you, how blessed we are, how much we have, we want to thank the Lord, but how do we get at it? Our text this morning, Psalm 116, verses 12, 13, and 14, will help us. And let's begin with this thought. A good place to start is to recognize what he has done for us. Psalm 116 is a a discourse of the devout soul with himself. Sort of a soliloquy. Psalmist is talking to himself. And as I read for you, you would find that he, in his mind, he has a fresh recollection of some recent deadly peril or some great sorrow that he experienced, even close to death itself. That's expressed especially in verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. At the end of that verse, I suffered distress and anguish. Anguish. Verse 8. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. At the end of verse 10, I am greatly afflicted. Whatever it was, the psalmist had really gone through a very difficult emotional time. Certain doubts even had crept into his mind. That's what that verse 11 is about. He had lost confidence in what men could do as far as he was concerned. All mankind are liars. They can't help me very much. 
But I know someone who has helped me. That is the Lord. The psalmist says, I need to thank him. But what's the best way to do that? He's puzzled. He's counted his blessings. He's recognized what God has done for him. Verse 1, the Lord heard me. He heard my voice, my pleas for mercy. Verse 2, he inclined his ear to me. Verse 5, our God is merciful. Verse 6, when I was brought low, he saved me. So there's a lot of things to be very thankful for. He acknowledges that. But he's puzzled. What, what can I do? What can I give to the one who's given me so much? I need to thank him in some way. So perhaps we can imagine him thinking of what he might do. This, that, well, I could do this, I could do that. The question he asks here in verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me, is not a question about his desire, but his means. How do I go about doing it? And perhaps you have wondered that yourself. It's Thanksgiving time, when Thanksgiving Day comes, I know I should especially thank the Lord in a particular special way. What's the best way to do that? Well, the question is a good one, because what can we really give to God? Turn back to Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. The Lord speaks, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Perhaps you yourself have been shopping for a Christmas gift. And you said, what can we buy them? They have everything. It's sometimes hard in this country to buy gifts for people because they already have so much. So the psalmist is frustrated. He feels so indebted that he, and he feels inadequate. But finally an answer comes to his soul. For in recognizing what God has given to him, he is now ready to receive yet another gift. Receiving what he has done for him. Verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. The psalmist sees a, a table. And around it have been guests that have been invited to that table. This was very common in Bible times. Not only were friends invited, but sometimes even your enemies were invited. Psalm 23 speaks about the Lord preparing a table for him in the presence of my enemies. But his attention on that table is focused upon a cup. A very special cup called here a cup of salvation. Now the Hebrew word for cup has to do with abundance, with plenty. I have up here a cup of water and I'm going to take a drink right now. Imagine if I've drunk this and somebody comes up and says, here's some more water for you. 
I was, well, thank you, thank you very much. And they fill it up, so I drink that, set it down. Here, let me, let me get some more water. They're pouring so much in there, it begins to dribble over here and begins to get on the carpet up here. I said, fine, that, that's enough, fine. Nope. Here, have some more, have some more. It overflows, 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 almost to the point where you realize that there's almost too much here. That's the cup of salvation. In the Hebrew, it's a plural. The cup of salvations or deliverances. Many times in my life, says the psalmist, the Lord has delivered me from some circumstance, some distress, some trouble, some agony, and he just has been keeping, he keeps doing it. It's the cup of his salvations. Now, this is some, something of an allusion to the Passover, the great deliverance from Egypt, which is always on the mind of the people of Israel. The Old Testament Israelites also had certain drink offerings, which were tokens of thanksgiving. So there's the cup on the table that he sees. And in a scene in Bible times, what was the guest expected to do with that cup? In effect, the host is saying, here, this is your cup. Drink from it. And what if the guest would say, well, no, no, thanks. Uh, no, I, I'm not thirsty. Uh, no, I don't think I will. That would be the greatest of insults to the host. You're expected to drink of that cup that he has given you. It's your cup. Drink of it. He's not saying it that mean, in that mean of a voice. <laughs> He's probably a very friend. But here, here, friend. Here, drink of this cup. This is your cup. So what's this all about? As he takes the cup and lifts it up? Well, I think, first of all, it's an Old Testament picture of the offer of salvation that the Lord brings to his people. Even in the Old Testament times, the great gift coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the Deliverer, the great prophet. He's coming. He's the one through whom we will have eternal life. We can be secured in His righteousness. And that's why we bring our lambs and our other offerings to the Lord, acknowledging that we're waiting for Him and looking for Him and His great deliverance from our sins. Back in verse 4, I call on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. What a picture that is of one who becomes converted, especially later in life when there's a conscious moment at a certain time. And the, the person can look back and say, Lord, deliver my soul. And at that point, that's when the Lord delivered my soul. I'm sure some of you in this room have experience of that. You can remember the time, the place. Others of us, like myself, grew up in a Christian home. And um, I mean, there's not a particular point there. But when we stop to think about it, we realize the Lord has delivered my soul. He has brought me eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And I should be eternally gratitude, show eternal gratitude for that. Now, isn't this a strange situation? Because in verse 12, what had he asked? What shall I render to the Lord? What shall I give to him? So I can express thanksgiving for what he's done for me. And what's the answer? I will take something from him. 
He's already given me much, but he offers me even something else. And I need by faith to take that. So here is a man who gives thanks to God by taking something from him. And that's the best way to thank God. To thank him for the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, that is offered to sinners like us. That's the one thing God wants. The thank you he desires above all else. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, 15, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. How are we to thank God sufficiently enough for the gift of Jesus Christ for us? As I mentioned in Bible times, the master of the feast would set a cup before a guest. It would be an insult to refuse it. Think of a friend who keeps giving things to you over and over and whose feelings are hurt if you refuse it, even though he's already given you so much you don't know how you can keep thanking him. I read about an incident in a church where there was a, very, a lady with very, was very poor. She didn't have much money, but she gave a significant amount of what she had to the church in her offerings. And the leaders of the church, they said, we're going to have to do something about this. Poor Mrs. So-and-so, I mean, she's, you know, she's going to become even more destitute than she is. So they went to her, and they said, we really appreciate what you've been doing, how sacrificially you've been given. But you don't have to give that much anymore. Cut back a little bit. To which the lady responded, oh, my friends, please. Don't take that away from me. That means so much to me. Is my way of thanking the Lord and supporting the work of the church? Are we to expect the God of benevolence and compassion to act any differently if we do not take what he has given to us? The cup of salvation prepared at the cost of his son Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Quite a verse. 2 Corinthians 8.9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Can anyone really thank the Lord for our material benefits, which are many, if we reject his gift of eternal salvation? How true this statement. When the silver platter of earthly bounties is passed, men take it and help themselves. But when the golden cup of salvation in Christ is passed to them, they thrust it aside. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord, on his name and his name only, because there's no other name given under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. Only Jesus has accomplished that which we need as sinners to be go to a holy place like heaven where there's no sin, no evil, 
no wickedness. How, how is that possible? The only possible way is through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on behalf of sinners like us. No wonder, then, that the best way to thank God is to receive what he's done, even as we recognize our inability to thank him sufficiently in other ways. But there's one more thing we need to notice here. It's in verse 14. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. We need to reveal what he has done. We receive what he's done in Jesus Christ. But now it's our point, it's our time to reveal what he has done for us. I will pay my vows to the Lord. What are vows? Vows are promises to which you commit yourself before God. Might have been times in your life when you come before the Lord and say, God, if you get me through this situation, if you do this for me, I promise you that I, and I vow that I'm going to do this. That's a pretty serious thing. And the Lord takes vows seriously. Vows in church are not very common. The Old Testament saints regularly made them, especially in times of great adversity. You know that in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 22, there are seven sections on vows and oaths. Now, later in this chapter, down in verses 18 and 19, he'll make another reference to vows. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, repeating verse 14. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. We take vows, it's a very serious commitment to the Lord. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And this is to be done in the presence of all his people. The psalmist wanted to do this publicly. He couldn't pay his vows in thanksgiving just in private. You run across people who have said, I appreciate what you're trying to tell me about the Bible and about the gospel, whatever that is, but, you know, religion is such a personal thing. I just kind of need to just kind of keep it to myself. It's my own little niche in my life. Well, the psalmist didn't feel that way at all. He said, I need to let people know how God has been so good to me in something of a public way. Many a Christian can remember his or her conversion, as I mentioned earlier this morning, uh, a time when God gave particular blessings or a particular deliverance from a health situation, from a financial situation, those kinds of things. And yet, so often, so many believers never seem to get around to sharing those things in some kind of public way, mentioning it with somebody else, for example. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teachings drop as the rain, and my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Charles Swindoll has an interesting way of writing, and uh, he said this, 
We live in a day of spiritual secret service agents. Now, we kind of keep everything to ourselves secretly. He goes on to say, I, now not all of you are going to get this, but some of you probably will. He says, I sometimes think of them as Lady Clairol Christians. Nobody knows but God. So how are we to reveal? Well, you're doing that even this morning. You are here with the people of God, singing together, praying together, hearing the word of God together, and in that way, acknowledging you are thankful to the Lord and you want to be worshiping with his people. There are all kinds of ways you can serve the Lord, not only in this church, but in other ways. You're involved maybe with other organizations or or whatever, even Christian organizations. Surely sharing your testimony with somebody, especially if it's been very meaningful to you, you say, excuse me, I just need to tell you what the Lord did for me, how grateful I am for him. Just living godly lives is a way of sharing that also. At your workplace, being men and women of integrity and honesty, when the opportunity arises is to say, I'm just grateful to God I've got this job. I'm very thankful how the Lord has blessed my life this past year. Just a little thing like that. Aren't these kinds of ways to thank God better than simply having a holiday once a year and stopping to think, well, yeah, I guess I should be thankful for something. The New Testament itself hardly can give a better glimpse of God's grace and man's response to it than this text this morning. But perhaps Ephesians 2.8 is a good one. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift, the gift of God. The early church fathers, one of them, said Jesus took what was ours, our sins, so that we might receive what was his. All that is his is ours. There's a thought. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, All things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. The rich inheritance of believers given to us. The gospel is a free gift. You can't earn it. You must simply acknowledge your sinfulness, and as we heard in Sunday school this morning, by faith alone, experience the grace of God and the wonderful gift he has given to us. So see, it's been, uh, how long, 10, 15, 17 years since we were in Scotland, my wife and I, and uh, we were visiting St. Andrew's Church. And we went out to the cemetery and all these weathered gravestones and headstones And way at the back, near the back fence, there was a fairly large stone like this. And you could hardly make out what was on it. So I went and looked at it. Samuel Rutherford. Now, to many of you, that may be a name that doesn't mean anything. Samuel Rutherford was a very important leader of the Scottish Covenanters back in the 1600s. Wonderful theologian. And it said that he had an interesting expression. I am a drowning debtor to God's mercy. And by implication, he meant 
all I can do is just kind of keep paddling and swimming away, trying to keep my head over all that he has given to me so I don't become so overwhelmed with God's mercies to me that I forget that I'm supposed to be serving him. He was responding, of course, to the atoning work, especially of Jesus Christ on his behalf. When Jesus drank, drunk what? The bitter cup of God's wrath on behalf of sinners like you and me. So you see, it's not our gift or gifts to God that's important, but his gift of Jesus to us. Yet in taking that gift, we show to the world and exhibit to ourselves the very best way to thank God. So I ask you, have you received that gift? It's there for you if you have not. Jesus offers himself as your Savior and your Lord. You can't earn it. You simply must receive it by faith and claim it as your special gift from God himself. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, to our world. Thank you, O Lord Jesus, for suffering and dying on our behalf. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for awakening in our hearts our sense of need that we might have turned to Jesus in faith and know him as our Lord and Savior. Thank you, O Lord, for all you have done for us, especially in Christ, in whose name we pray.